Flo, I wrote a C program and you won't believe what happened next. <gasps> Welcome to this log. Uh, we found our secret recording location again. This time we are all here. Julian, what happened after you wrote a C program? Uh, it, it crashed, obviously. <laughs> um, and our guest today is Marius and he is going to uh, talk to us about how to uh, avoid these situations. Uh, hi, Marius. Hello. Thanks for having me. Um, Marius, so... Maybe we start with um, your background. I mean, okay, so this episode is going to be about formal verification. We haven't said that before. So what what makes you uh, a person to talk to about formal methods? Well, so I'm, I've been studying here in, in Dresden, at the TU Dresden, um, and I've been jumping fairly a lot um, across subjects. Um, uh, I was in the distributed systems um, um, area uh, doing stream processing systems. Um, I've been uh, dealing with um, uh, CUDA and graphic cards in, in my Rosa Beleg there. Um, and um, I would say very early in my studies I was um, interested in functional programming. Um, I couldn't exactly say why. Um, and uh, when I first le learned Haskell, I was um, not really convinced, I must say. <laughs> um, so I guess because I, I didn't grasp it completely. Um, but then um, I discovered Erlang and um, um, from Erlang coming also Elixir, which um, uh, at that time was very new uh, and which is a functional programming language um, on the Erlang VM. And um, I discovered that um, functional programming can be um, very efficient and very very easy to, to write and very powerful. Uh, you can, uh, with a few lines of code, you can express something that uh, in um, C or C++ or in Java, the languages that I learned before, uh, which I of course, not, not the newest and not the most shiny um, imperative languages. Um, but um, in comparison to that, um, you could write a few lines and um, um, you had understandable and most of the time correct code. And um, you, uh, you, mean this, you mean this feeling where you write like two lines, it took you half an hour, but they look beautiful afterwards? Yes, um, and it, it didn't even took half an hour because, uh, uh, I mean, this is um, what you have when you first learn, learn Haskell probably um, because there you have uh, a lot of uh, syntactic things that you can, uh, can write something in five lines or you can write the same thing in a, a few characters, I would say. Um, but in, in Elixir was from the beginning on a very um, friendly language and um, so um, I, I didn't have the feeling I needed a lot of time to write something and I didn't have the feeling I needed a lot of time to understand it. Uh, um, but after some time um, I went back to um, learning Haskell um, with a great book. Um, um, Haskell from First Principles, the, the Haskell book, um, and um, 
that was um, really great and, and I understood things that I didn't understand before. And uh, uh, at that time, I was in Stockholm um, writing my thesis about stream processing systems. And um, interestingly, um, stream processing systems, even though you um, most often use imperative languages, um, uh, are inherently um, functional um, in, in their design because you're um, designing um, uh, small operators that are themselves usually pure, um, that have some state in between, um, but that's a bit like in, in Erlang the actors, for example. I mean, for um, the stream, I imagine it like uh, you have like an, a thing that has two inputs and the stream processor will add them together and uh, output them again. Yeah, so um, you have um, a couple of sources um, and a couple of sinks, so um, yeah, output channels. Um, and in, in between, uh, you are creating a directed acyclic graph of uh, operators. And you can uh, either use um, some predefined operator or you can write this operator yourself. Um, and each operator has some kind of um, state or is allowed to have state. Um, but in the stream processing system that I used, um, you had um, the, um, the possibility that uh, your events that uh, flew in um, uh, predefined channels from operator to operator, uh, always somehow coming from the sources going towards the sinks. That's the directed acyclic um, part of the graph, um, of your um, algorithm graph. Um, and what you could do uh, was that you um, um, insert some kind of watermarks um, in the streams and um, uh, each time um, some watermark arrived at an operator, you could uh, make some kind of snapshot. And that's also some something that you see some sometimes in, um, um, in immutable pro programming languages or programming languages that deal with uh, immutable data that you can um, do some kind of snapshotting at some time because you don't have um, you don't have um, things like input and output going anywhere, but only in these directed channels. So um, to round that probably up, <laughs> um, uh, this was already um, also some kind of functional programming. And then I started to go to um, functional programming uh, conferences, uh, usually in my, in my free time. Um, I went um, uh, a lot of time to this um, Lambda days in Krakow, uh, which is really awesome because it's very small and it's in, in the winter and it's usually very cold and it's uh, only a few of the most well-known um, functional programming languages people and I. <laughs> yeah. So because nobody else is going to Krakow at that time in the winter. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, so I would say most of what I learned um, was um, um, because I was interested in it. Um, and then I started to uh, learn Coq at some, some point and uh, other languages that uh, went into uh, the area of the um, formal methods um, like Idris or Star uh, that we will talk about later. Um, and then I was looking for jobs um, 
in the area of formal methods and I found one, which is nice. Hmm. That's really pretty cool. And it's also not, uh, there are not so many of those, I think. Yeah. Um, to be honest, um, I'm, of course, only spending a small amount of time with these things, um, but still, no. So, okay, so we mentioned formal methods now, but what is formal method? So in your own words, so what, how would you describe it to, to someone who has no clue about this? No. So um, formal methods is um, a very broad term, I would say, and most people understand uh, um, being able um, not only to, uh, to test a program um, that it's um, correct, but also to prove that it does something correctly. Um, so, um, for example, when, when you're just testing some, some inputs of a program, uh, then you're only testing um, uh, one situation in which the program can be and one output that it may produce in or that it shall produce in this exact context and this exact environment that it's in. Um, and the idea of um, proving something is that um, this thing that you're proving um, the specification, um, we'll talk about that, um, is um, always true. Uh, and that's some kind of absolutism that I like. <laughs> yeah. And um, of course, for formal methods, I would say, is much broader than that. And uh, um, a lot of it is about um, um, how to formally uh, structure data and how to create languages and if you're going to uh, um, conferences about formal methods then um, uh, a lot is about creating some kind of um, um, lang language background um, and uh, not much is about actually applying it but I mean that comes, comes later then. It is so. <laughs> I thought that only happened remotely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we jump too deep into how things uh, uh, work, um, so what's the, it, it sounds like it's a lot of work um, compared to, you know, Julian writes a C program and then it crashes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's the, uh, why, why do it? What's the value proposition um, of, all this effort so yeah. what do I gain so I would say you you gain two things the the first thing that you gain is that um, you somehow understand your program properly um, so the the whole process of um, uh, proving something is um, um, Many of the times that you try to prove something, uh, you're finding uh, errors on the way um, because you're actually thinking about uh, um, consequences of uh, conditions being true or false, for example. Um, and I would say the, the second one is getting rid of uh, programming errors. I mean, um, of course, there are a lot of programming errors that we can get rid of with, um, with other means. Um, and um, already now there are languages that are, um, for example, memory safe, uh, that uh, get rid of um, um, the, the most of the errors that we have today, uh, um, memory errors. Um, but of course, there are a lot of errors that are not, not so easy to find, like memory errors. Those are logical errors uh, that you um, 
that your program does not fail, uh, but it simply doesn't produce the, the right values. Uh, they, that might be slightly different. That might only be in one situation out of um, a million or more. Um, and um, formal methods is also about being correct to, to the last part. Yeah. Um, so I, I would say um, this, this is, um, these are the two um, things why um, you should do it. Yeah. So I think it's about the, the software that if it fails, either kills people or is really expensive. Yeah. So, um, uh, I mean, we, uh, we looked that up uh, in, uh, right before uh, the, uh, the session here. Um, so the uh, most um, named example uh, is this Ariane 5, Ariane 5 uh, rocket, which uh, right after the start crashed because uh, of some programming bug. Um, some very stupid programming bug in the yeah, end. Was, <laughs> we looked it up. It's a 64-bit floating point number being converted to a 16-bit integer and some other things going wrong at the same time. And yeah, this would have been completely preventable in a world with uh, functional correctness proofs. Yeah, exactly. Even though probably you could now say, okay, this um, would already be prevented with um, uh, strongly typed language, uh, but that um, often also goes hand in hand. Um, yeah. So there is this one shining example in the operating system community of uh, formal correctness proofs, which is the SEL4 uh, kernel. And so I was in the, in the original presentation when the, the team presented it at the conference and I had to take away wow, this is amazing, but that they spent like ridiculous person years on making this happen. So um, is there anything that, that happened in between? Is there, are there other people doing this? Or is SEL4 sort of the, the lone example of one team doing it till the end? Mm. So, I mean, there are a lot of very good examples and we are we will be coming to that very shortly, I think. Um, but of course, there, there's a lot of movement in this ar area, uh, especially um, because um, uh, of first some advances uh, in, in the theory, uh, actually, but also because of um, um, advances in how fast computers are and that you can nowadays uh, uh, simply automate some things away that um, before you had to do to do manually and uh, that is also a big leap forward i would say um, so um, i don't know too much about the sel4 project i think that they um, uh, created uh, in Haskell um, models of their software in, in various detail, detail level and then they did proofs in Isabel, if I'm correct, um, that um, these um, models with uh, increasing detail level or increasingly less abstract models um, were correct and at some point uh, they made a proof that um, the very detailed Haskell model was the same as the C code that they wrote. And you can now already see that this seems like a huge effort. And um, I mean, it's a huge thing that they took this effort, um, definitely. Um, but I guess that probably today you would um, 
um, simply use some other language that is more appropriate and um, probably make make a few shortcuts that were simply not possible at the time. Um, no. So um, you mentioned some example before uh, or talked before. So uh, you want to go uh, through the examples because some of them sound really interesting. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, uh, I am wrote down three examples uh, and the first one is more like um, um, like an anecdote, I would say. Uh, so th there's a guy in uh, the French uh, INRIA universities, which I um, uh, kind of a very active in the development of certain um, uh, formal methods um, languages. And uh, uh, his uh, thesis was that he um, implemented uh, the French tax system uh, in a formal language and then proved some things about fairness, for example, of the tax system uh, in his formal, formal methods. And uh, um, this is really cool because um, this is a success story on, on many levels because actually um, the uh, French tax organization, probably, uh, uh, they are um, um, uh, exporting the tax laws also in a machine readable format now and he uh, somehow um, put that into another language and then do, did proofs on that. So this uh, cool on also the organizational level I would say. Yeah. Um, but this rather like an anecdote I would say the um, two shining large projects um, that are in the formal methods world right now is uh, the DeepSpec project and the project Everest. Um, probably let's uh, start with the DeepSpec project that's um, more the um, coming more from the academic area I would say um, so they're using mostly COG the theorem prover um, and um, they are trying to create um, from ground up a verified system um, coming from uh, the hardware um, with uh, Verilog, which is um, um, a formal language that you can use um, hardware to description. model uh, yeah. hardware, exactly, um, and also do proofs on it, actually, um, that your hardware is somehow working correct correctly. Um, that's possible. Um, and um, then um, uh, there are many layers um, uh, up until um, they... Um, prove some kind of database systems on top or so. And these layers in between, they are, for example, that they are creating uh, a verified C compiler, which is um, um, proven to uh, um, correctly translate from the C language to the assembly language. Is, is this um, this legendary CompCert compiler yeah, that's exactly. being talked that's about? Compert. That's part so of the DeepSpec project. So it's, so it's um, proven to produce programs that crash when you do <laughs> C code. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, they have some, some part of the project is um, the uh, um, part from, from assembly to the Verilog to the hardware description. Um, and um, then they also have one part of the project is uh, a verified um, operating system kernel, um, which is um, 
Ah, um, just forgot the name. Um, and it's, um, um, I'm not quite sure how far that is, but it's um, definitely an academic project and I'm not quite sure if you can already use it in, um, in real life. Uh, but uh, uh, it was the first kernel that um, uh, had proven uh, multi-core functionality um, in it. So um, that, that's a very interesting project in the end because it covers uh, uh, a lot of the things that happen in, in your um, system itself. Uh, um, so um, there are some languages that they are trying to um, uh, also get into uh, this um, complete chain from hardware to software, which is, for example, Coq and Haskell, because they are somehow a lot of used, yeah, a lot used in the formal methods world, and so they um, thought this would be nice. <laughs> I would say, and um, the second project is, um, uh, I would say, even a bit cooler. That's the project Everest. It's um, uh, a cooperation between these INRIA universities in um, France and uh, Microsoft Research, um, and they are trying to. Um, develop a completely verified HTTP2 stack. So um, both the, the server and the client part, um, both the uh, cryptography part, so TLS 1.3 is um, com completely part of this project, um, making um, a verified cryptographic um, implementation of all the algorithms and um, um, all the elliptic curve stuff and so on. And, um, so they started off, um, they're, they're basing this on the FSR language, uh, which is also developed at Microsoft Research. Um, and what they um, started off is uh, with the, all the cryptographic primitives. And this is actually a huge success story because um, uh, what they achieved was that um, uh, from this FSTAR language, they're extracting C code and uh, the extracted C code, which is um, uh, verified cryptographic algorithms, um, is so, so readable and so good in the end um, that um, this code has been accepted not only in Firefox, but, only, uh, but also in the Linux kernel, um, um, simply next to code written by experienced developers. And um, so in the Linux kernel, this is part of the WireGuard project, um, this VPN alternative. And in Firefox, actually, um, the TLS things are now basing on the first primitives that are um, formally verified code coming from this project. And that's huge, and they've only just begun. That is it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's a project by Microsoft Research. and. Firefox Microsoft probably, Research yeah. has always done pretty cool things. It yeah, yeah. just hasn't it's reached the public. Yeah. Um, exactly. And it's already so if you're now installing a Firefox, it's already running in there. Yeah. <clears throat> so, so I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> I want it. Uh, so let, let's come a bit more to the to the technical part. So what actually goes into uh, making a, a formally verified uh, a program. So how do I start? What's the first step? So th the first step is choosing uh, your specifications. So what 
am I actually proving? Uh, what do I want that's my program it. to do correctly? Yeah, right? that's what the, the question, what is actually correct? Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I mean, th let's um, start from uh, if I do a proof um, of something, then um, this is correct. <laughs> um, and um, what is this something? So this uh, something is um, specification that I write down. Um, this is somehow I'm, I'm describing the, the, the context. Uh, what comes in my program, what comes out of it, and how shall both look like. <laughs> um, and um, typical specifications are, for example, uh, a RFC. Um, so, um, uh, you mean you these text-based uh, documents that describe a protocol in the internet? Exactly. A protocol, some, some data structures probably that need to be dealt with, um, um, uh, all of these things, we have, in, in the end, um, um, the, the whole computer science um, uh, community created so many text documents in the end, how things shall look like uh, from, from architecture to a very detailed level. Uh, and um, um, these are usually already quite abstract. And what we can do is um, to write this down, not in... Um, a human language but in a formal language uh, and uh, since these are abstract things um, uh, we can prove them um, and we can prove some specific implementation of this and we can say okay this is an implementation of this abstract thought um, maybe to, to break this down to a very simple example if we have uh, um, uh, only one function in a program that is um, that shall sort a list um, then you can write down as a specification, I'm getting in a list and uh, the list that comes out uh, shall be the same list but sorted. Um, and um, uh, in, you, you can then find um, a billion of different uh, sorting algorithms. Um, most of them we had in university. <laughs> um, uh, but in the end, you can be sure that you wrote down a um, correct sorting function, um, which is really cool. So um, when writing a specification, um, this is somehow um, a gray area, I would say, because if you do things wrongly at this point, then your whole process is shit. <laughs> and um, you're proving something that's wrong and that's um, bad. <laughs> um, sure. So um, if I if I write down I want a list where the numbers or where, where where things are sorted, you know, from the smallest value to the highest value, but I actually want it the other way around, then obviously, yeah, my specification is wrong. Or you have a program where you can't even define what's correct behavior, which is also a thing in in reality. Yeah, true. But then uh, either. In, um, you're not at the point where, where you should use formal methods or it's um, high time that you're thinking about what your programming actually does. <laughs> um, so um, other kinds of specifications is uh, probably uh, like mathematical rules, uh, especially um, because we've been uh, talking about cryptography, that we have a lot of simply mathematical facts, constraints that must be true all the time. And you can simply um, write them down in a specification and uh, then do a proof on this specification. 
Um, and but how do these specifications look like? Uh, in most of the tools that you use, um, you're using some kind of logic language, logic-based language that um, to, to write down these specifications. Um, if you had logic in, uh, in your studies, you will probably still remember that there are um, different forms. Um, the, the simplest form is propositional logic, where you simply have only uh, variables that can be uh, true or false, and you can connect them with and and or, or an implication error also. Um, uh, but um, there are um, usually specifications uh, that you write in propositional log logic are um, statistic not so interesting. for all values of uh, x, <laughs> uh, function of x must be greater than 5. Yeah, exactly. Um, so um, already with propositional logic, you can create systems um, um, that allow you to uh, specify a lot. But um, um, if you um, want to do this um, uh, a bit simpler and in a more abstract way, um, you need a more powerful logic. And this uh, usually the, the next step is that you have uh, first order logic uh, in which you are allowed to use predicates, which are uh, functions that take some input. Um, um, some parameters can be numbers or whatever, and they return uh, uh, a true or false value. This is the is sorted um, predicate. Exactly. For example, the is, is sorted predicate, which um, uh, you should probably at some point specify what it does. But <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, um, and uh, the, the next step would be a higher order logic. And um, now you can already see that there's um, some kind of parallelism uh, to um, um, program, pro programming languages where you are sometimes talking about uh, higher order functions, which are um, uh, anonymous functions, lambda functions. So um, uh, a function that you can pass as a parameter to another function, then this other function is a high, higher order function because it uh, takes code to do something with it or uh, it's code that returns code, for example. Yeah, I think the, the uh, most basic difference between the specification and the actual program is that the specification says absolutely nothing about how this works. So the, for me, it's like um, you say the system, if it receives a packet, it will eventually produce a response. Yeah. This is a specification. It yeah. doesn't say how it does that, um, um, but this is the basic criteria. If it doesn't do that, it's broken. Yeah, exactly. So um, uh, what I probably wanted to say is um, that um, um, it depends somehow on, on the logic language that you're using to write down your specification, um, what you can actually write down. So if, if you can actually correctly uh, implement your RFC in as a as a specification or so. For example, what you just said with this uh, eventually, um, this is um, usually not part of uh, um, a simple logic language because it has some kind of notion of time in it. And there's actually temporal logic, for example, which is an extension of one of these logics um, uh, in which you can express these things. But um, many times you can't or you need to um, um, somehow implement this 
um, logic in your logic. Right? So maybe a question. So typically what you uh, see as specifications as a normal programmer it's, it's like pre and post conditions uh, so even informally someone writes comments above your function so you need to hand in a list of positive integers and it will return a sorted list yes um, so it, what's actually the, the the path from i have a high level specification to 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 these things is, is there a connection or is this all manual um yes of course there's um there is a connection and uh, um, the connections in, in the end that you uh, need to choose or usually your language dictates uh, some some style of proving um, or writing down the specifications first of all um, and in many many languages you do this actually um, uh, at least most of the time as part of pre and post conditions of a function so that you somehow um, uh, either attach to some parameter, um, some um, logical formula that says, um, um, okay, this index must be um, larger than, than zero and smaller than uh, the length of the array, which is the next parameter. So, um, so um, that's one style. The other style that's probably a bit known is uh, uh, Hoare style, Hoare style. Um, where you uh, can in your uh, imperative code usually um, put some precondition and then uh, either after the next code line or after um, the, um, the whole function or after a few code lines, you can put a post condition uh, and you can prove some kind of interval then, um, which is of, of course not possible with um, lazy functional language where, which does not follow uh, the um, first this command and this command um, thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's basically um, you need to specify um, your specification and uh, you, depending on the system or programming language that you use, um, you need to attach it somewhere. And uh, usually you would probably to your to your main function or whatever, you would attach your uh, larger proof and then you break it down to smaller proofs that are actually attached to your sub-functions. That's probably a, an easy way to think about it. Um, so maybe one step further. So whenever I, I looked at people who actually do theorem proving, it looked from the outside like writing code. So the, the question for me as, as the programmer is like, what, what actually turns a programming language into a tool that you can use to, to do all these things? Yeah. So um, I, I would say there are probably two different uh, approaches. The, the one approach is that you're um, comp completely separating your program from your proofs. So um, you probably first write your program um, uh, in some kind of language that um, you're you're, you're able to prove was <laughs> the Julian C program <laughs> <laughs> that is not usually, <laughs> usually a Julian C program, um, even though at, in in part that is possible, um, but not easy. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, uh, and then you have a completely separate proof 
that somehow refers to your program, of course, and then that some somehow uh, takes apart your program and reasons about your program. Um, and th this, for example, I mean, most of the people have uh, um, heard about the Cock Theorem program uh, already, and um, there, there you can do both styles, but um, most often, especially if you're um, if you're um, proving something very abstract, then you're not attaching that to the code, but you're doing a separate proof. Uh, um, okay, so let me try to summarize. So you said there's like approach one, I, I translate my code into the, into the language that actually can do proofs, either manually or with tools, and then I write like my proof. Yeah. Or the other thing that you said uh, uh, at the end is that you write a abstract model of the code basically from scratch. Um, no, so, um, um, okay, let me pro pro probably rephrase it. Uh, the, the one possibility is that you already have a language that uh, uh, allows you to, um, to attach your proofs or put your proofs somewhere in this language. Ah, so you're already yeah. programming in that language that it, can exactly, also do the exactly. proofs. So it's, ah, a, okay. it's a mashup, yeah, exactly. And the, the second one is um, uh, that you um, do a proof about uh, an existing program, which you either transfer in, in a language that uh, you can prove or which probably is already written in a language that you can do proofs on. Uh, and um, so um, when you have um, the, um, there, there are now many languages that actually go uh, in this direction where we already attach the proofs some, somewhere directly in the programming language, which is um, a cool thing because um, there might be a new uh, wave of uh, programming languages that are somehow um, where it's easy to do proofs uh, on, on the fly somewhere, um, sometimes even without noticing. So we already had one of these uh, as our very, very first episode in this podcast. This was the Ada Spark uh, episode that we did in yeah. the beginning. Um, but um, okay, Ada Spark is maybe not the most typical example. So this is a special category. And for people that are interested, I would refer them back to the this episode. Um, but for the, the languages you mentioned for Cock, so what, what is it that actually makes it a, a language where I can express uh, proofs and, and properties that I would like to hold. Yeah. So um, most of the languages um, that um, somehow allow you to do proofs, um, they are based on uh, type systems. Um, so an extension of your type system. Uh, this is also, um, so I mean, you have a lot of functional uh, programming languages where you can uh, do proofs on. Um, and usually they have, or more often than in um, imperative languages, they have already some quite strong type system, um, which you are able to extend. Uh, or you're creating new languages that uh, have some kind of features of the type system. And um, why are we actually talking about type systems? That's uh, because um, a long time ago, um, people realized that um, uh, logic and programming uh, are some somehow parallel to each other, and that you um, c 
can encode um, um, propositions or specifications in types and that if you did that, your program um, can write down a proof. So you can write down a program that is a proof uh, of a specification um, which is uh, in, in your type. Um, so in, in the end, um, if I write down uh, a proof on, on paper, uh, as in, in math, for example, um, uh, I can transfer this paper proof um, into a function with some special data structures where I build up uh, some kind of proof tree um, and um, the type of my function uh, has my specification in it. And um, then I can use the type checker to see if my proof and my specification if they match. And this, this is really cool. Um, and to, um, to do this, we need to be able to um, write down our specifications in the types. Is that clear so far? No. Okay. Um, so what do we need to write down specifications in, in the types? It's, um, um, there's two kinds of features of type systems that we um, um, usually see in um, formal languages. Um, uh, one is dependent types. Um, Dependent types is um, the idea uh, of being able to um, um, put um, a value in a type. So um, uh, already in, in the languages that you know, you are able to parameterize your type with a type, which is, um, for example, if you have uh, um, a list of a, so a list of a type, list of the concrete values uh, of that or con concrete um, outcomes of that would be a, a list of int or a, a list of string or so. Um, but now uh, we are also able to put values in it. So uh, if we are staying with the list example, we could, uh, for example, encode the length of the concrete value, um, the, the concrete list that we are now having, uh, into the type. So uh, my list one, two, three, four uh, would have the type list int four. So we can have concrete values in types. That's the first step. Um, the but second this is step, I mean, this is already possible in, in C++, but it's not a magic step yet. Yeah, okay, true. No. Um, but not always. So the, this has, um, I mean, C++ is getting a lot of uh, features from the um, functional world actually lately. Um, so this good thing, I would say, even though it becomes more complicated, the language, <laughs> than it already is. Um, so um, uh, th the next step is that we have um, um, pi types and sigma types uh, coming from those dependent types. Um, and a pi type is um, a functional, no, is a dependent function. So um, we have a normal function and uh, we can give it parameters and uh, these parameters can have uh, types with those values in it. And um, uh, we can um, refer from, um, for example, the, the type of the return value uh, to the type of the parameters. Um, so, for example, what we can encode, um, since um, our um, um, 
since, since we can put um, some kind of proof objects now, which are values, um, in the types as well. So instead of the four, which we had in list int four, we are now putting a proof object in there. Um, and um, we can, for example, say our outcome uh, should be um, a number that is larger than the number of the second parameter or so. Um, is, is this already the step where it, uh, I can sort of express the list append function as uh, I get list of length a and list of length b and the return value is list of length a plus b? Yes, exactly. Yeah. This, this, that step and this uh, already a step where you can do a lot. Uh, this is also, I think, um, a point where you see this, this starts to look like a specification. I and mean, we haven't said yeah. what is the list, but we already get the lengths correctly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, and mm, then we have uh, a second thing that's uh, sigma types, and that's uh, that we can simply uh, extend a type with, um, um, with some kind of proposition. So we, th that we can say, okay, uh, we have now this... Um, Uh, integer um, i and i is larger than zero and smaller than some other value, for example, the length of an array or so. Um, and um, all those things together allow you um, to um, uh, write down your specification in your types, uh, usually in, in your function. Um, and um, the cool thing about this is um, that we um, can use, I mean, all at compile time somehow, uh, but that we can use um, uh, all the functions um, that we created um, in our normal programming world, um, also in our type world. Um, and for that, the functions need to always terminate, and, um, and this is called being total. Um, and for example, in, in Coq, that's anyways the case that uh, every function that you write, um, uh, even if you don't want to use it in uh, in a type in the type world, uh, needs to always terminate, needs to be total. Um, but there are other programming languages, um, for example, Idris, um, where you can um, specifically say, uh, I want this function that I write to be total. And if it's total, then I can actually also use it in, in, my, in my types. Yeah. And total also, so beyond terminating, it also means it cannot fail. So it cannot cause runtime errors. Yes, exactly. No, no exceptions. It will always um, um, produce, produce a value which is of the type that uh, you, of your return type. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, this. Um, um, that's really powerful, I think, um, that you can do this. And um, um, there's a whole spectre, spectrum um, of languages um, uh, on two sides, I would say. Uh, the one side are the traditional theorem provers, um, uh, for example, Koch and Isabel and, and Lean, for example, which will get interesting in the future, I think, um, where you have a very... Um, very powerful um, um, basic system. You have uh, uh, higher order, order logic. You can um, specify 
anything that you want, almost anything that you want, um, uh, but you usually need to do manual proofs. Um, you need to write down your um, proof programs um, and there's some kind of automation possible, um, but the problem is uh, the more powerful your logic is, the less you can automate in the end. And so there's exactly the other end of the spectrum, um, which um, uses um, um, first order logic, for example, and which probably uses um, refinement types, which we forgot. So I will say one sentence about that. Um, so refinement types are, um, I think, less powerful. Yeah, I'm quite sure that they are strictly less powerful than de dependent types. But um, what you can do is uh, that you um, attach to your no normal type system, you can attach um, um, propositions to each, each types, also in pre and post condition style. And this is um, the almost the same like the sigma types that we talked about earlier and the de dependent types, so one part of the dependent types. Um, um, but it's um, a lot easier um, to extend an existing language, for example, with it. Um, this, because this sounds like the, the Spark model a bit. Yeah, that, that could very well be. Yeah. Um, because um, you're not creating um, a completely new type system and you're also not changing your values. So you're only, for example, you can say, uh, I want an int to be um, prime or so. Um, um, that would be your int and you have attached the, um, the specification shall be prime, um, uh, but your value doesn't change. And in the dependent types, with the sigma types, um, you have uh, a complete, um, so your types um, are also, um, they, they also um, uh, influence your values. So um, you have in, with the sigma types, you have a pair and you have uh, the first part of the pair is the actual value and the second part is the proof. Uh, so if you get get this passed as a parameter, I need uh, to first uh, manually unpack this pair uh, and uh, get out either what I want, the proof, or uh, th this is a, a lot more complicated than the refinement types. So um, on the, the other side of the spectrum, um, where we have um, um, easier, simpler um, uh, logic, you cannot express a lot of things or you can express less things but usually still most of you want to what you would want to express so probably if you have an rfc you can still express that in first order logic um, um, but there's a lot of a lot more of uh, automation going on uh, and that's that's cool so examples um, um, on the um, uh, on, on the site that we talked before, this, that was like uh, Isabel Cochlean and uh, on the um, automatable part, that's something like um, uh, Daphne, interestingly, a um, imperative language. That's something like Y3 or Frama C. Frama C is, um, 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 you can do proofs on C code. Still, very complicated, but at least somehow automated, automizable, <laughs> uh, automatable. Um, 
and but the the actual actually interesting part lies in between and um, that's uh, that from from the ethereum prover side um, uh, we go into the automatable way a bit with idris which is a haskell like language but with dependent types um, very clean language they got rid of all the historic stuff that haskell has um, and also um, um, it's only lazy when when you define it in the type that it shall be lazy so um, also that's easier and from the autumn automatable part automatable <laughs> automatable yes thank you um, uh, coming uh, to towards um, um, the more powerful ways to prove something you have for example liquid haskell which uh, is um, um, putting refinement types on top of Haskell. And as I said, with refinement types, um, uh, it's easy to attach this to an existing system. And exactly in the middle, I would say, is F-star. That's what this um, project Everest is using. Um, so they um, combined in one language dependent types and refinement types. And um, um, you can um, the, try to do autom automation and you get very far with this, but um, when that doesn't work anymore, uh, then you can take over and do a manual proof on some in some situations. Um, especially when, for example, the, um, the system cannot prove that your function terminates, but you want to use it in, in the types or you want to use it as part of the proof. So um, I think this, yeah, in, in the end, um, um, we have a lot of, um, and I think in, in, in the future, in the traditional theorem provers um, that are very powerful, and, um, but only used by, by, by some experts, uh, they will still be used a lot um, in, in different situations, but I think um, that being able to do automated proofs on in, in languages, um, this will come into each mainstream programming language. At least that's my hope, um, because it's getting very easy right now. And if you look at uh, F-star, for example, you have um, an OCaml-like language um, that you somehow you put a little bit of stuff in between uh, and usually it's um, uh, able to um, um, do your proofs for you. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, I think uh, Ada is actually a good example of this uh, because they extended the language uh, very nicely to include all, all the formal verification code yeah. uh, tools. And I think the, um, the main addition was pre-imposed conditions first as You can write them and they just magically become assertions. And then in a subset of the language, um, this can actually be uh, proven automatically. Yeah. Um, but I think there was also a pre and post condition proposal for C++ that didn't make it. Um, yeah. But I also think that some, something like this will, will come yeah. to all but the languages that should survive. Very hard in C++ because you have uh, a lot of mutability and you have... Uh, a lot of language constructs that really don't make it easy for you uh, to be able to do proofs. So um, uh, I, I guess these pre and post conditions will be um, um, 
quite simple in comparison. Um, and you won't be able to express something like um, the result of my sorting function is a sorted list. At least I would guess I think there, there's an interesting um, analogy between easy to prove and good software engineering, because uh, what you mentioned, the immutability and the side effects and uh, global state, uh, is this, this is, these are so global state is something that makes programs hard to understand, not only for humans, but also for automatic systems, because yeah. there's, there's this thing that can be changed at any time somehow magically, and you, you just can't say anything about it. And I think this is also um, why there are so many functional languages in, in this zoo of, of uh, theorem proving formal methods languages, because this is sort of the natural realm of... Yeah formal verification. Exactly. And you, you can probably see that with uh, Daphne, which is um, one of the very few imperative languages um, that you can do proofs on, but it's um, um, highly restricted. So um, no parallelism, I think, at least. Um, um, no objects, no, um, no manual memory management, nothing like that. No pointers. Yeah, and it's similar for Spark. I think there's also an interesting dynamic between Spark and Rust, uh, sort of moving both moving towards uh, making it possible f to write functionally correct programs. Yeah, um, I think Spark is limited and allows you to go all the way, and Rust is not limited but also doesn't get you the functional correctness yet. Yeah, true. Um, okay, so. So when you would, um, so when someone would come to you and say like, okay, this sounds great, um, where do I start? So what is a good starting point? I want to try this out. Which of the many things we mentioned is, is something that is uh, friendly to, to beginners? Yeah, so I, I would start out with a, a language with a high level of optimization, I would say. So um, one of my my first in encounters with um, formal methods was uh, actually that I had already seen somewhere liquid Haskell and found it interesting. And th this is a very easy beginning, I would say. And if you already know Haskell, um, then this... Um, and there are many resources for, for Haskell programming. Lots of, yeah. lots of uh, students that have to go through learning it. So there are lots of very beginner-friendly resources. Yeah, and for Liquid Haskell, there are a lot of very nice um, uh, interactive tutorials, which I find really cool. And it's uh, definitely not something that you can expect in the formal methods world, unfortunately. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I would probably um, then go um, towards the um, um, theorem prover. Um, direction and probably have a look at f-star because that's they really um, included a lot of interesting um, things for example what i didn't mention yet is that you can in, in f-star um, um, every every function has not only a return type but also a, a an effect and your effect is um, 
in, in the most restricted way, it's uh, in totality. So it always terminates, it always uh, it, it never throws exceptions and so on. Um, and uh, the exact opposite is um, ML style. That means you, you can do everything that you want. Um, and somewhere in between, there's a graph of um, a partial order of uh, a lot of effects and you can even write your own effects. Uh, so you can, for example, write an effect that allows your function to only use the database, but no other side effects or so. Um, really interesting stuff. But um, uh, I mean, in, in the end, if you are serious about this, um, um, learn something like like cock or lean. Lean is very interesting. It's, um, in lean four is an alpha state, um, and um, uh, it's actually also a programming la language. So you can it's a complete theorem prover, uh, but you can uh, write programs in it uh, which uh, are fast and efficient, and um, where you can put a keyword on your function that says. Um, um, I want to do unsafe casting, or uh, I want to do uh, I, I don't want cast. this totality stuff in, in here, and then you can reduce your your limits for this function somehow. Um, and so you get around all the cock weirdness if you decide to learn Lean. Yeah, but um, um, the the thing about uh, the um, the Julian higher is trying very hard not to learn. <laughs> I managed for so long. <laughs> we made it for one hour. <laughs> uh, first cock joke. <laughs> Shots I, fired. I, I was already thinking about if uh, horse style was um, probably <laughs> the beginning of all, but <laughs> where's the sensor? Um, <laughs> I, so when I tried this out the first time, so I think I had an advantage, and that is that I already knew how to use Emacs. <laughs> um, and uh, I think this is a real hurdle for people younger than 40. <laughs> um, so uh, for the Liquid Haskell, is, is there actually a good um, development environment without Haskell these days? Can I? And I think Vim also doesn't count. <laughs> um, depends on the language. Uh, I think Lean um, has some integration in the usual um, the usual IDEs um, and COC has the COC IDE which is um, okay-ish I would say but um, it has, yeah, it's um, not as bad as it used to be. <laughs> but it's uh, of course not, not a full-fledged editor or whatever. Um, um, but everything that's Haskell-based, there's a lot of tooling, of course. Um, also for Liquid Haskell, then including mm. that. Um, yeah. I would expect F-Star. I mean, it's a Microsoft language, so I would expect them to have good tooling as well. Yeah, um, uh, at, at least I, I haven't seen that yet. So... Mm. Mm, might be, but uh, the the times that I've been playing um, around with uh, FSTAR was um, um, usually I wrote it in uh, Vim and then executed it on the com command line. Um, and even the error messages are not that great. Um, but um, the whole language is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think I will have uh, lots of opportunity to gather links in the show notes for all the things we, yeah, we mentioned. Probably. So uh, I will do my best. Um, other than that, I think we have it. 
I think this uh, would be a good point to wrap it up. Um, uh, thanks, Myos, for being here. I think this was super interesting. I learned uh, many things. I will have to check out the Project Everest. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, that, that looks super interesting. And uh, for all the listeners, so we're happy to receive feedback either via our chat room on IRC. It's UKVLY on Freenode or there's also a matrix room you can find on syslog.show or website. Um, you can uh, email us and um, yeah, tweet at us. Tweet at <laughs> us. Uh, we're happy to receive feedback. Um, and with that, I would say thanks again, Marius. And Thank you. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Du hattest einfach Angst vor noch mehr Cockjokes. Ich konnte... <lacht> Ich habe so lang, ich habe immer nach unten geguckt, wenn, wenn ihr so komisch gegrinst habt.